0: How's it going, A's fans? And welcome to episode 176 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan Jason Burke, and on today's show, we are going over the best right fielders of the Billy Mean era. Last week, we covered some of the best players in the infield, covering one position per day. So if you want to remember some guys, make sure to listen to those ones as well. But uh, before I get started today, please follow us on social media at Locked On on Twitter and Instagram. I am at JasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to locked on athletics at gmail.com also if you follow us on twitter you can vote in the polls that i post after each and every episode so i have all of last week's episodes those polls are still go- still going uh they go for about a week or so uh because that is as long as twitter will allow me to let them do go uh and then today once this episode is up i will have the best right fielders poll up for you guys as well so uh yeah Follow us on social media at LockedOnAce. There's also a link to our Twitter page in the show notes to make everything super easy for you. Uh, The poll for today will be pinned to the top of our profile, so you don't got to do much searching or anything like that. But uh, this week is going to be a little bit different than last because there are so many names in the mix for these outfield spots. And later on, on the mound for next week... um, Part of the challenge for compiling the top four at each outfield position was determining where the player would slot in position wise. Uh, to take a recent example of this, uh, do you slot in Mark Canna and left, right, or center? He's played all three. So basically, I would just check their games played at each position uh, that they'd be eligible, and then I would go with where they played more. And then sometimes I'm just going to mention a player that should rightfully be in the top four in each of these positions, and uh, instead I'm going to talk about somebody else because uh, they're my favorite player of all time. But you know, some and you know, case in point, we're going to do that today. Uh, spoiler alert, number four on our list of the best right fielders of the Billy Bean era is actually Steven Biscotti with four wins above replacement in 289 games, but... Sorry, Steven, I'm going to spend my time talking about the guy right below him, and that is Matt Stairs. And I mean this legitimately, Matt Stairs is one of my favorite baseball players of all time. It goes Ken Griffey Jr., Tony Gwynn, maybe Cal Ripken Jr. I don't know. I came up in that era. Uh, But I think that I might even go Matt Stairs above Cal Ripken Jr. That is how much I love this guy. And if you need a fourth person for my baseball Mount Rushmore, uh, we're we're going like Cal Ripken or maybe Mark Ellis or Jerry Blevins, one of those guys. That is my baseball Mount Rushmore. Matt Stairs is cemented in my baseball mountain. So, uh... (laughs) I like Matt Stairs, that's all I'm saying here. I'm setting it up really high for you guys. But uh, basically, everything about Matt Stairs is enjoyable to me, from his softball swing to his filled-out frame to his blonde goatee, um, and just wrapping everything up in the fact that he could hit for average and power. I mean, there are aspects of Matt Stairs that definitely bring Bartolo Colon to mind, and people love Bartolo Colon, but he was my Bartolo Colon before, uh, I think... Well, how long did Bartolo Colon pitch? He pitched forever, but Matt Stairs was there first in my heart, so that's uh, that's all I'm going to go with. And people around the baseball world really started paying attention to Matt Stairs in, uh, when he was with the Phillies in 2008, and uh, he was just basically a pinch hitter at that point. He had a big home run for the Phillies in their 08 uh, World Series run. Uh, it was a 3-3 game. He had a two-run homer off of whoever the hell uh, on the Dodgers, and he he won that game for him, and people in Philadelphia love him for that. I don't know if it was a deciding game. I was not paying close attention, but I do remember the home run, and just in case you were doubting his pinch-hitting prowess, which is not what he was when he was with the A's. He was a right fielder for the A's, but as a pinch hitter, he ended up hitting like 21 or 22 pinch-hit home runs, which was a major league record. I don't know if it still is. Uh, I did not... Uh, I don't know how to look that up, so I did not. But uh, yeah, he may still be the all-time pinch hit home run leader. And uh, that is Matt Stairs. That's who we're talking about. I have built him up for four minutes now, so let's get into who he was. Um, his two best seasons with the A's were actually before the Billy Bean era started, so they didn't even get counted in the stats that I'm about to give you. Uh, but from 1998 to 2000, when he was traded to the Cubs, he hit 261 with a 357 on base percentage, 116. WRC+, which means he was 16% above league average, and he was worth three and a half war over those three seasons, and is still arguably the best professional baseball player to have ever lived. In 1999, Matt Stairs hit 38 home runs and drove in 102 to finish 17th in the AL MVP voting. Should he have gotten his two points on the ballot, uh, given that he was worth 1.7 war with an 899 OPS, and the only player to receive MVP votes with a lower OPS was Omar Vizquel, well, I mean, probably not, but in the same breath, I'm going to tell you that he was robbed of that MVP award. Guys, I, I legitimately loved watching Matt Stairs, and I'm sorry that I had to nudge Steven Biscotti to the side in order to talk about him, but I'd do it again. Um, sorry for yelling so much, you guys. I apologize. My wife's not home and I get to be a little bit louder. Uh, but moving on to number, th- the number three player in war during the Billy Bean era. And that is Ryan Sweeney. And for a long time, uh, basically as long as he was with the team, I was convinced that Ryan Sweeney was going to be great. I was so convinced of this that I believe I still have a jersey with his name on the back of it, hanging in my closet because legends never die. <laughs> I'm really building up these right fielders for the A's from the early to mid 2000s. It's been fun. Anyway, Sweeney was brought over from the White Sox before the 2008 season, along with Gio Gonzalez and Faltino de los Santos. And in a trade that sent Nick Swisher to the south side of Chicago, Sweeney was with the A's for four seasons and put up 6.9 wins above replacement while batting .286 with a .347 on-base percentage and a 99 wrc WRC-plus in 439 games. While his bat was league average with the A's, his defense always felt like it really set him apart. Sweeney ranked fifth in defensive runs saved from 2008 to 2009, so two seasons, with 16, even though three of the guys ahead of him had played significantly more innings. For those two seasons, Sweeney had the same DRS as Ichiro, granted he was 10 years younger. Ryan Sweeney came into the restaurant that I was working at at around that time, and I remember freaking out. I was like, holy shit, do you guys know who that is? That's Ryan bleeping Sweeney, and nobody that I worked with knew who the hell I was talking about. And I believe that I actually asked his server if I could fill up his water or iced tea or whatever the hell he was drinking. Uh, And so I went over there, and I don't think that I said anything to him. I was just like, oh, I'm really close to Ryan Sweeney. This is pretty cool. So as you can see, I have not gotten better at, uh, you know, talking to random people since my Mark Ellis encounter, uh, which I talked about last week on the Second Base podcast. So uh, listen to that one. It's a fun story. Uh, anyway, Sweeney had a leg injury in 2010 that cost him half the season. And in 2011, the A's had Coco Crisp, David DeJesus, and future A's killer, Josh Willingham roaming the outfield. So Sweeney became the fourth outfielder and uh, he ended up being traded in the 2011 to 2012 off season. And uh, we're going to talk about that trade and who the A's got in return in just a minute. So stay locked in with Locked On A's. I'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you guys by Built Bar and they have the best tasting protein bar ever. And their improved Built Bar is even more deliciouser. They have 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. They have six new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They still got their original 12 flavors, so they got you covered there. And all of their bars are actually covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. They are protein bars that taste like candy bars. And all of their bars are built for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. And their bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for the keto diet. So all you have to do to take advantage of these delicious treats, or to get some for yourself, uh, is go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code locked on. that is one word, locked on, and you'll get 20% off your next order. You also get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last, so you can carry around your little bars when you're a little cooler, and uh, go around the house and whatnot, because uh, quarantine. Anyways, uh, use promo code locked on for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you like hearing podcasts. And if your platform, like Apple Podcasts, lets you leave a review and a rating, please do so because uh, it's greatly appreciated and it helps the podcast. So, uh, also, coming up this week on Locked On A's, we're talking about center fielders and left fielders. And next week, we're going to be wrapping everything up with starters, relievers, and designated hitters. We only got three coming for you guys this week because of uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, Just taking some time off be with the family be with the wife and all that stuff so that will be fun um but yeah we we got the rest of the series we'll wrap up next week we'll have five episodes for you guys next week but uh three of the episodes will be starters relievers and designated hitters for you guys uh, but anyways, moving right along to number two on the right fielders list, and that is Nick Swisher, who played in four hundred and fifty-eight games with the A's, hit two fifty-one with a three sixty-one on base percentage and a one eighteen WRC plus, and he also tallied ten wins above replacement in his time with the A's. And uh, Swish was just a joy to watch, and just seemed like a joy to be around. And uh, if you can't picture him smiling or or laughing, then you probably just don't know who Nick Swisher is. Google it. He Everything that he's ever been in, he's smiling. Even the highlights of him on MLB Film Room, they all have him smiling, and it's ridiculous, and it's adorable, and, uh, you know, it's... It's nice, especially in these times. It's nice that, uh, you know, people can still smile even though it was in the past. Anyways, he had the long hair with the goatee and the long sideburns that just screamed Oakland A's. And that was just part of the appeal of having Nick Swisher on the A's. And uh, it was a good time. Plus he was the switch hitter that was the most recognizable name from the Moneyball draft. So I had heard of him from the book Moneyball. And uh, then there he was before my eyes. That was a good time. Uh, His best season with the A's was in 2006 when the A's went to the ALCS. And uh, Swisher hit 35 bombs and drove in 95 while really upping his walk rate over previous seasons. He drew 95 walks in 2006. And he ended up with a career best to that point, 372 on base percentage. And uh, if we're going to memories, I, I don't necessarily have any specific Nick Swisher memories. It's just that him smiling, doing whatever he was doing on the base. Field and uh, I remember him being good at baseball and wanting to be his friend, and uh, he was just always smiling. And it, he was the kind of guy that could light up a room, is you know, basically what it felt like to look at Nick Swisher and uh, watch him play baseball and stuff because he was just having fun out there. And when I think of A's baseball in general, Nick Swisher is one of those people that I would be like, Yeah, that's A's baseball right there. He's just having fun going out, doing his job, being good at it, and you know, etc., etc. I still don't have a memory of him, but that's just the general vibe that I get from him. And uh, also just random quick side note on Nick Swisher. And uh, the, the, the guy that played Jeremy Giambi in the Moneyball movie look kind of like Nick Swisher, like a decent amount. I feel like Swisher would be taller, but they have a similar-looking face, and they both have the goatee, so uh, go watch Moneyball and tell me what you guys think of that, and then tweet at us at Ace. Um But moving on to the number one right fielder of the Billy Bean era, and he's someone that has been polarizing to the Ace fan base since 2013 because he had a good 2012 season when he came over, and that is uh, Josh Reddick. We're talking about Josh Reddick, you guys, and obviously if it were up to me, this team would have 24 Matt Stairs clones in One Mark Ellis, and uh, I guess they could both Throw or maybe you just have some Jerry Blevins clones in there too. Not sure. Anyways, I decided to follow the war totals, uh, like I've been doing for this entire series, like an idiot. So here is Josh Reddick and whatever was hanging out of his speedo at number one on the on the list. Um, I said that we'd talk about the uh, the Ryan Sweeney trade, and here we are. Ryan Sweeney was traded along with Andrew Bailey to Boston, with the most significant return piece being Josh Reddick. And uh, so if you take that Swisher deal that netted. Sweeney and then the Sweeney deal that netted Reddick. you're looking at like a decade of A's right fielders that were just basically used to acquire the next person in the line of succession in right field. And that's just kind of the beauty of how the A's operate to me. I mean, sure, it'd be great if the A's just started spending money, but uh, if you ever have like a a full day to kill, you can go down some pretty deep trade rabbit holes over at Baseball Reference for the A's during the Billy Bean era, just seeing who was traded for who and all that stuff. I've got one coming up for you guys tomorrow on the Centerfielders podcast. That's going to be fun. But here's a real quick trade rabbit hole for you guys, and it's really just like a a, a rabbit divot. It's not really a hole, but uh, the A's traded Reddick along with uh, Rich Hill, and then they got Jarrell Cotton and Frankie Montas. In return for a couple of months of, you know, Hill and Redick going to the Dodgers. And Montas has been showing some signs of, uh, you know, officially turning a corner. And if he ever does officially turn that corner and become one of the better starters in the American League, then this will be another slam dunk of an A's trade for Belly Bean and company. And, you know, uh, also David Forst. Um, and yeah, it's a brief trade rabbit hole if you go with, you know, Ryan Sweeney and Nick Swisher, and then you, you go that far. Uh You got a few players deep in order to get Frankie Montas. So, it's an interesting thing to go ahead and spend an afternoon doing if you got the time. But uh, I guess that we should actually talk about Josh Reddick and his numbers that landed him the top spot. He played in 596 games for the A's with a .257 uh, batting average and a three twenty-one on base, and he put up 12.4 war. His 110 WRC Plus is honestly a little bit higher than I thought it was going to be, and his 2012 season, when he hit 32 home runs, actually brought it down just a little bit. So uh, interesting how baseball works like that. Sometimes the eye test does not do justice to people Um, he had a bad 2013 and but he was 18 and 16 percent above league average in his other two full seasons with the A's and uh, you know that led him to signing with the Astros in free agency before the 2017 season and that year his numbers really spiked for some reason and it's really weird because ever since, you know, in 2018, 2019, and 2020, he's been league average or below league average since. And it's really weird. And I really wish that somebody would look into why his numbers spiked in 2017 with the Astros. That's strange. But switching over, uh, switching gears here, my main memories of Josh Reddick are his cannon of an arm in right field and wishing that more people would test him because it was just so much fun to watch people get gunned down at, you know, whatever base they were running to. Uh, we got Loriana doing it now, and that's kind of fun, too. Uh, there was a, a 19 inning game that my wife and I went to. I, I, I think that they were playing the Angels. I'm not positive. It was like 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. Um and there was a runner on first, and the batter slapped a base hit uh, over to right field. And my wife and I just started laughing. We were like, you don't run on Reddick. What's this guy doing over here? This chucklehead. And then uh, we saw the throw and the arc that it had and the velocity that it had. And then we realized that Chris Young had taken over in right field. And we we're like, oh, no. And uh, that that's another Josh Reddick kind of memory that I have. Uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, my other prominent memory in my brain is of him slamming his bat or helmet down after seemingly every plate appearance uh, in which he didn't get a hit or on base or anything, which, given his on-base percentage that hovered around 300 for a few seasons, was nearly 70% of the time that he was just acting like a child when he didn't get his way. Um, So those are my memories of Josh Redick as, hey, he's fun sometimes, and also, boo. Um, If he wasn't part of the 2017 Astros, though, I probably wouldn't be this bitter at Josh Reddick if we're being honest and I think that it's just a coupling of his bat slamming demeanor with his obvious role on a cheating team and then his dumbass comments in the media that have really soured me on him and when he was with the A's and getting hate I still liked him because he was with the A's and I thought that if he could recapture his 2012 form which I thought was his best form uh, before looking at the numbers uh, if if he could do that then the A's would be a better team for it but you know these days it just seems like he's a little bit out of touch with reality and wants to try and start fights with fan bases which is strange uh especially fan bases that enjoyed him for a while uh he's on the wrong side of history <laughs> anyways but I mean, at the same time, he was also a big component of the walk-off pie celebrations that I feel like we all thoroughly enjoyed. So, I mean, is he all bad? He's mostly bad. He's not all bad, I don't think. Uh, although the the Spider-Man suit ran its, uh, ran its course really quick and it seemed like he was trying a little too hard. But I really liked the walk-off pie celebrations because, you know, it, it was a fun season and whatnot. But uh, anyways, Josh Reddick is currently a free agent and I have no idea where he's rumored to be signing right now. But my guess is that uh, the Texas Rangers are gonna pick him up because they need a boost to their offense, and he's maybe league average, which is a big boost for the Rangers. and uh, Which means we all get to watch him play a lot more than we'd like to. So uh, we started today off with a bang, and we ended it with a trash can bang. But uh, that's going to be it for me today, you guys. Tomorrow we're going over center fielders. So until next time, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep wearing those masks, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.